Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting right across the world this week from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. Today is my birthday, and today it's been a great day. My son's at Google, and with Father's Day a couple of days ago and my birthday today, I actually got to speak to him twice in three days. Hallelujah. (laughs) I also um, had to renew my driver's license, so um, and I passed that in flying colours, and uh, tonight I'm heading off to dinner and to a show, so it's been a so far a great day, and it's going to get even better. Today's my birthday, so I thought I'd be a little bit self-indulgent. You know, I reckon I've earned it. There's an old saying that most people are less afraid of dying than they are about standing in front of a group and giving a presentation. In fact, it doesn't matter how famous they are, people still get nervous. Leonardo DiCaprio at the Academy Awards said, I was dreading winning. I didn't even prepare an acceptance speech. I was worried that I would slip up or do something horrible. I was shaking in my seat, putting on a posed smile. Inside, I was petrified. Now, that's Leonardo DiCaprio. You'd think he'd be pretty confident, right? I've given now over 1,900 speeches in 63 countries across the world, and I, I still never forget my first presentation. With two other business presented, I was presenters, I was booked to give 45 presentations in 45 cities across the country in 50 days. All of the presentations, all 45 of them, were sold out, something like 30,000 people. So I really worked on the presentation and I made sure that I really knew my stuff. But about 15 minutes before that first presentation, I just wanted to go somewhere, crawl into a hole and hide. I was thinking, what is it that I can possibly say to these people who are all business people? What can I tell them that they don't already know? What if I make an absolute bloody idiot of myself? So paralysis set in. I was petrified. And if it hadn't been for the support and encouragement of the other speakers, my speaking career would have been over before it even began. And I'm sure the first presentation was an absolute disaster. But I had 44 more to go. There was no turning back now. We walked off the stage and we got into a bus and off we went to the next one. So I slowly learned what worked and what didn't. I learned how to use the stage, how to modulate my voice, how to weave stories and humour throughout just to keep the audience interested. I didn't learn it by consulting a book. I just learned it it by watching the audience. As soon as they looked like they were bored shitless, I'd think of something funny to say. Now, nearly 2,000 presentations later, I'm still nervous before every presentation, But I've learned how to conquer that really paralyzing fear. And today, 
wasn't so important 20 years ago, but today, in order to be successful, we need to be able to present in public, whether it's in front of your team, whether it's at a business conference or your peers or whatever it is. When speaking in front of a group of people, it is difficult to be comfortable, to appear confident and to be commanding. It's natural to have sweaty palms and a pounding heart and digestive problems. They're the signs and symptoms of stress. Now my stress acts as adrenaline becomes a benefit. So here are a few ideas that I hope might help you. First, really understand your content and determine how to present it in a simple, entertaining way. Even if the content is detail and information rich, you think, what do I want these people to take away from this presentation? Secondly, Understand who your audience is, the gender split, their education and employment levels, their age split, and craft your presentation accordingly. Thirdly, control your breathing. This promotes relaxation and reduces the effects of stress and the feeling of being nervous. Fourthly, stand tall and maintain a sense of personal presence. This begins with your posture. Stand up straight. Look like you own the place. This translates into authority and confidence. Hold your shoulders back. Speak slowly and confidently. Use the stage. Look at the and speak directly to the audience. Fifth, don't let that little voice in your head throw you. The little voice that says, oh, how are you doing? That wasn't so good. Maybe you should do something else. That little voice just tries to create doubt and tries to throw you. You've got to lock it out. Just ignore it. And after you've got a few presentations under your belt, visualize the great experiences you've had speaking. It will really boost your confidence. I sit there and think, when was the last time I got a great reception from the audience? And I just think about that. I focus on that. And then I know that that's going to encourage a similar sort of reaction this time. Finally, rehearse your presentation extensively to give you a sense of comfort, confidence, control. Speak every line out loud. Ensure that it sounds natural. You know, sit there and talk to yourself. You look like an idiot for an hour, but nevertheless, it works. I overcame an almost unbearable fear to do extremely well out of presenting. And if I can, you certainly can. If you can present well, you'll be amazed how it will help your confidence, it'll help your reputation, and it will be an enormous boost to your career. Now, as you might know, I live in the Hollywood Hills, and it's the most exciting part of the world. I mean, it is cool. Have you ever thought about how exciting it would be if you were part of the Hollywood scene? Now, I'm the chairman of Countdown Motion Pictures, and we have a wonderful movie in the works, a real Cold War action thriller. We've got an exceptional cast and crew in place. However, as you're probably aware, you're always chasing money. In Hollywood, it's a bit like being an entrepreneur. You're always out there looking for money. So if you're sitting listening to this and you've got 
some money tucked away somewhere that you'd like to invest, then um, have a talk to us. You can be part of the team. You can get credits in the movie. You can attend the launch. You can walk the red carpet, go to all the parties with the stars. Now, if you'd like to know more, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. It's fun. Now, have you heard <laughs> – I'll start again. Have you heard about Dubai's Robocop who's rolling into the streets in Dubai to fight real crime? He's a robotic policeman which can help identify wanted criminals and collect evidence. And he's joined Dubai's police force and will patrol busy areas in the city. And this is part of a government program aimed at replacing some human crime fighters with machines. I remember watching Robocop and thinking it was really cool. Well, these things come around sooner or later. Now, Dubai police wants to have unarmed robots make up 25% of its patrolling force in the near future. It just looks like the Dubai police uniform. It's a life-size robot, can shake hands and do a military salute and and as part of a plan to use technology to improve services and security ahead of Dubai hosting Expo 2020. These robots, the good thing about them is they can work 24-7. They don't need sick leave. They don't need leave, period. They don't need maternity leave. They can work around the clock. The first automated policeman in the Middle East the robots on wheels, it's equipped with cameras and facial recognition software. It can compare faces with a police database hundreds of miles away and flag matches to headquarters. Hey, I've just passed a guy and his name's Fred Smith and he's wanted. Get somebody down here. And um, it can read vehicle license plates and its video feed can help police watch for risks such as unattended bags in popular areas of Dubai, which is, as you know, a financial and tourism hub. Members of the public can also talk to the robot to report a crime or communicate with it using a touchscreen computer, which is embedded on the chest. So you can just go into the touchscreen computer. Most people are not nervous about talking to a robot, and some would rather talk to a robot than a real cop. New generations who are using smart devices all the time love this sort of stuff. I think it's a great idea. More police on the beat, even if they are robotic. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? If you don't, you're really missing out. We now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers. I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com. And enrol for the newsletter, it takes just 30 seconds to read. Sometimes a little longer, but it's pretty short. And it'll keep you up to date with all the business news that's important. Every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to subjects like the Hyperloop and autonomous cars and blockchain. And these are all subjects that you should know about if you're going to survive in this new global revolution. It's free and its information's invaluable. Momentum Machine's quest to replace humans with robots in the kitchens of fast food restaurants is advancing, 
with its robot that could make 400 made-to-order hamburgers in an hour. This is Momentum Machines. Their, their fast food robot is fully autonomous, meaning the machine can slice toppings, grill a patty and assemble and bag a burger with any help whatsoever from humans. A personable variety of fresh produce, seasonings and sauces is also available for each burger. The company's working on its first retail flagship in San Francisco's South of Market neighbourhood and it should be arriving anytime soon. Now, fast food chain Eatsa automates the ordering and pickup process. Robots, robots also run food deliveries for Yelp's Eat24 and they pour coffee at Cafe X. Zoom Pizza enlists a team of three robots who have got names like Pepe, Marta and Bruno <laughs> to make pizzas without any humans at all. McDonald's have been using self-service kiosks for two years and as Carl's Jr. CEO Andy Perster says, robots are always polite. They always upsell and they never, ever take a vacation. It's estimated that robots put the low-wage food service industry, which is one of the USA's biggest job sources, and its 513,000 fast food cooks in jeopardy. So could robots replace the 513,000 fast food cooks? Probably. How soon? I would suggest much sooner than we would like to think. Now, today's guest after the break is Martha O'Gorman, and she's been the Chief Marketing Officer at Liberty Tax for the past 18 years. She's a really nice lady, and Liberty Tax is a leading franchisor, and you know, we don't talk about franchise industry very often, but we really should. It's a $2.3 trillion dollar industry and one in every six jobs in America relates to franchising. So one job in every six relate to franchising and we never talk about it. Mm, I must change that. In fact, I must get some information for from Martha so that I can put out a newsletter about franchising because it's, it's that important. Now, Martha O'Gorman has been the Chief Marketing Officer at Liberty Tax for the past 18 years. I mentioned that, and prior to joining Liberty, she was the Director of Communications at Jackson Hewitt. I'm going to speak to Martha about franchising, how it compares to entrepreneurship, and about Liberty after this short break on the Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, 
advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. For over the last six years, we've given you insights into the lives of somewhere around 350 or more of the world's most interesting people. We've talked about what it is that they do, what makes them special, and uh, the idea is to try and get behind them a bit and find out what it is that makes them tick. Um, It's extremely rare to find an extraordinary personality or a really unique talent, and it's even more difficult to create a successful business. The failure rate of new businesses at the moment is around about 95 to 97%. Now, that's a big increase on, it's never been great, but it's um, it's much tougher now. And the, um, the failure rate of online businesses and apps is somewhere around 99%. So we all need all the help, advice and assistance that we can get from those entrepreneurs who have gone before us and who have achieved success. So that's the aim of this segment. It's to help you to weather the obstacles that everyone who is successful faces at some point. You are not alone. The issues that you're facing are the same issues that hundreds of thousands, millions and millions of business people before you have faced at some time or another. So the idea of this segment is to help you learn so that you can not make the mistakes that others have made and become more successful. Now, I've looked back over the shows over the last six years, and we haven't spoken about the franchise industry. Now, I don't know why we haven't, but we just haven't, Um, but we certainly should. It's a $2.3 trillion industry, and if you don't know, that's 2,300 million million, which is an awful lot of money. Um, With one out of every six jobs related to franchising in one way or another. Now, like all businesses, not every franchise will succeed, but statistics do show that franchise-owned businesses have a better chance of thriving over a period of time than independent small businesses. Now, I, I, I know that a lot of people that have gone into franchising that have done extremely well. In fact, according to the U.S. Small Business Administration, seven out of ten new employer companies survive only two years, where the um, success rate for franchises is much, much, much higher. Now, Martha O'Gorman has been the chief marketing officer at Liberty Tax. Now, don't let the tax bit throw you. Um, For the past 18 years, 
She is a specialist in franchising. Now, prior to joining Liberty, she was the Director of Communications at Jackson Hewitt. She graduated from Denison University with a degree in communications in 1979. So that's a while ago. So she's obviously very good at what she does. And uh, Martha, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You are being heard all around the world. And that's exciting, Bob. Thank you very much for asking me on. Okay, my first question is a bit of a curly one. Well, not curly, but it's possibly, it's not a trick question. But I've heard franchise owners labelled as the new entrepreneurs. That seems really strange to me because entrepreneurs put it all on the line. They usually create a new opportunity. They determine their own business model. They determine their own path forward and they win or lose basically based on their own um, initiatives. I've always thought of franchises as sort of buying colour by numbers. You pay your money and then at 7 o'clock you turn on machine A and at 7.15 you put out a tweet that's given to you by head office and at 7.30 you do this and at 8 o'clock you do that. And so it's just colour by, it's just business by numbers. You do exactly what you're told when you're told to do it. So don't, don't um, franchisees just simply follow orders? How does that make them an entrepreneur? Well, it's an interesting um, dynamic between the franchisor and the franchisee because anyone who wants to buy a franchise, in effect, is entrepreneurial by nature because you have to take risks. You have to be willing to invest your money. In many cases, people invest their retirement or they use the equity in their home in order to get their business started. And yes, it is uh, add water and stir uh, concept in many regards, but it also requires the franchisee to be very dedicated, very dynamic in, in doing what they're doing as opposed to following orders as an employee would do. So taking a risk is a big part of um, franchising and, and becoming a franchisee. So as a new entrepreneur classification, I, w- I would say yes. You know, many, many years ago, it used to be a lot easier to get into business for yourself because you didn't have as much competition. There were more mom and pops um, businesses like pharmacies and hardware stores. If you think about it, all of those have been consolidated into larger um, big box stores. And and so franchising now is allowing you to be your own boss, to be in business for yourself with the protection of the larger brand as an umbrella. Okay. Um with the current business climate being one of um, extraordinary change, disruption, massive increases in technology being em- employed at sort of every level of business, um, buying block- buying a blockbuster franchise wouldn't have seemed like a very good idea, would it? Back in the day, it was a good idea. <laughs> yeah, but it got it, it really got disrupted and Blockbuster weren't, you know, Blockbuster could have done what Netflix do, did, but they didn't. Um, so you're, you're really at the mercy of how intuitive, I guess, that your, um, your, your parent is, aren't you? 
Yeah, uh, and that's true. But what you want to look for when you go to buy a franchise is is a franchisor who is already doing those things, who is already disruptive. And interestingly enough, I just read an article a couple of days ago about all of the new um, technologies that have taken over um, what seem to be very, very solid business models in the past. So Netflix taking over Blockbuster, just as you said, Blockbuster could have done the same thing, but they ignored it. And they started charging outrageous fees to just to have your tape rewound. So, you know, you have to you have to look at the trends. You have to be able to see the trends, have a vision for what people are going to want next, and then answer that before anybody else does. Airbnb has done that. Uber has done that. And so that's what we're seeing. A trend in business in general is that the winners, the people who are winning in business right now, are the people who can see the trends and take advantage of them. How long do you think this is nothing to do with um, with what we're talking about, but how long do you think it'll be before Whole Foods, which is now today being bought by Amazon, and, you know, Amazon's got these staffless grocery stores up in San Francisco. How long do you think it'll be before um, Whole Foods is a totally robotic, instant checkout, walk-through sensors type of store? Well, I I can't predict that, but I will tell you that I hope it doesn't happen in the near future because the Whole Foods experience is a, is a wonderful experience as far as a, a grocery store is um, concerned. And and I, I read that this morning about the about the purchase. And what I hope for Whole Foods and for Amazon is that they take their two uh, strongest points, which Amazon is one is is customer service and customer delivery, and Whole Foods is a is a different experience, and be able to merge that into something that will allow grocery enthusiasts such as myself to find a whole new experience that is better than what we had before. Um, the the um, employee-less grocery stores as of right now are for, are for one set of people. Um, you know, there are other people who enjoy the interaction of the butcher and the fish market person and the baker. So, so they need to look for what that what that it thing is that the nugget that they need to capitalize on to to make that purchase um, viable for for Amazon. Since Amazon's got thirty five thousand robots, I I hope you're right because we we shop at um, Whole Foods too. But I don't like our chances. Okay, franchise industries. <laughs> You know, as we mentioned before, over $2 trillion. So I'm sitting at home and I'm thinking, gee, I'd like to, I'm sick of working for the boss. I don't know, you know, I keep reading about unemployment being 60% in the, you know, not too distant future. Um, I really should go out and do something for myself. So firstly, how does somebody find out what franchises are available? Well, there's there's lots and lots of uh, resources for that, but obviously the internet is the best place to start. And looking for things that you're interested in that that should be the first thing that you, that you think about. Now, not a lot of people are interested in taxes, but they are interested in a good business opportunity because. 62% of Americans use a pay preparer to file their tax returns. And even with the onset of online tax preparation, they still need somebody to stand between them and the IRS. And and that's what you get when you hire a tax preparer. So I we're could, a solid I, business model. I could not agree with you more. 
there you go. See, yeah. I'm on your side. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's some, good. That's something people do need to do. And, you know, having a good tax advisor um, come I guess tax advisor covers it, but having having that for anybody who's in business, no matter how large or small, is really important because the IRS can make it. Firstly, you can not claim a lot of stuff that you could normally claim, but secondly, the if the IRS decides to get its teeth into you, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that you know the that's a natural fear. People have been have been afraid of the IRS, albeit I must say that the IRS is. Is a you know a very um, I, I don't I can't call it robust, but they they work very hard at their customer service. So um, I'm I'm you know want to want to say that because I think that you know people do have maybe an unnecessary fear of the IRS, but when you do need somebody to to look at your situation, you know you want to go to a tax preparer that has experience, and so um, that's just one piece of advice. But getting back to how to find the franchise, it really has to do with a lot of research getting in touch with a lot of different franchise opportunities. And then as you start to narrow down your choice, they franchisors offer um, you the ability to come and visit their headquarters, go talk to other franchisees, and things of that nature. So doing your due diligence is extremely important. Right. So I, I, I look at a couple, I look up franchises and I find three or four that may be of interest to me. What are the things that I need to look for to determine whether this opportunity is going to work for me, whether the organization's got a future, etc.? What What do I need to look for? Well, long-term stability. I mean, and, and that's not to say that a, a, a new franchise or isn't isn't a good bet for you, um, but I would say that you really need to look deep into their into their infrastructure and make sure that their franchise di- disclosure document is done properly, that they're giving you the right information that you need. But in reality, talking to franchisor, franchisees of the franchisor is one of the best validations that you're, that you're going to get because not everybody's going to be happy, but I will say that you will be able to sense the, sense the satisfaction level of the franchisees by talking to 10 or 15 or whatever the number is. But um, that kind of due diligence is absolutely necessary um, when you're making a decision. So I I read that XYZ franchise they want $250,000 to get into a franchise or well first of all before we do that what, what sort of the range this is one of those how long's a piece of string questions but what sort of a the parameters of of a fee to get into a franchise from sort of bottom to top Yeah well it could be anywhere as low as Ten thousand to fifteen thousand dollars, and as high as a million dollars, depending on what the concept is, and a million plus. Um, some of the fast food restaurants and and things that the need build out and equipment and, and that kind of thing are going to be far more expensive in terms of initial investment than something like a Liberty where we have no inventory and and the bulk of your um, initial fees and um, costs are in equipment like computers and desks and signage and uh, rent. Right. Um, so it just really depends on, on the the complexity of the franchise 
concept and, you know, what is required in terms of inventory and things like that. So that's all something that needs to be considered as you, as you start your journey is how much money do you have to invest? How much money are you willing to invest? And one side, let's, let's take your company for, for a start. I want to buy a franchise in Liberty. Um, so there's a, there's a fee for, um, for coming on board. <clears throat> what what do you give me from that point? Training, if, if I don't know much about um, um, the tax business, um, can I can I get a Liberty franchise or do I have to be a tax expert to be able to get a Liberty franchise? No, not at all. And as a matter of fact, we would prefer that the franchise owner not be the one preparing the taxes because this business is all about leveraging the skills of other people. Right. So we teach you how to hire people. We teach you how to train people. Uh, we have a tax school that you can conduct, that, that you can train people to become tax preparers. Um, the, the Liberty is really a marketing business because our, our goal is to go out and find people who need assistance, tell them where we are, who we are, and what we stand for. And that is done through marketing. And we are big on business-to-business marketing and guerrilla marketing um, because we find that somebody's not going to come to Liberty because they see a television ad or they hear a radio spot. They're going to come to Liberty because Liberty has been in the community. They're their next door neighbor or they go to their church. So community involvement and being part of your, um, part of your ecosystem in your local market is, is really important to getting the business that, that you need to, to be successful. So that's the kinds of things that we teach people. We want them to be, um, we want them to be self-sufficient in that regard, and we also want to make sure that they are giving back to their community, which is, is very much part of our, our business model. This is starting to become monotonous, but again, I totally agree with you. Um, <laughs> you know, I haven't I haven't been a fan of traditional advertising for probably twenty five years, um, and there's no question that um, community involvement and word of mouth is now far more important than it ever has been at any time in history. Okay, so so I buy a Liberty franchise. Um, so there's my first payment out. What then do I need ongoing as far as a, rev- a reserve of capital? Um, it, it's really kind of a, a flexible number because in major cities where your rent might be higher, you're going to need more initial capital to you know to get to where your cash flow positive. Um, in a smaller market where your where your rent may not be um, a significant part of your budget, then you know you would you would need less capital in reserve. But but certainly you never want to go into a business undercapitalized. But um, the SBA has been really, um, really um, good at helping people get money to buy into businesses because they want to encourage people to become small business owners. And so there's lots of financing opportunities available to people. Uh, SBA is one that I know for a fact that, that many people have have taken advantage of and has given, have given them the capital that they need to, you know, to get into business and then get cash flow positive. I know that, again, this is probably how long's a piece of string, but um, if, if 
somebody out there listening buys a franchise and they've, they've got a bit of capital reserve, how long is it normally before you start to become cash flow positive? I know that's ridiculous. If it's a McDonald's, probably almost day one. But um, in general, you, how long are you under the gun for? Well, you know, the, the the rule of thumb is, and this is not for just Liberty, but it's for, for all businesses, is that by year three, you should be making a profit. Um, cash flow is a different situation. You just, sure. cash flow is making sure that you can pay your bills. And yeah. and in most cases, you want to make sure that that's happening after after your first 12 months. And in most cases, it's it's less than that. Um, but and when you get when you get to the profit number, then it's longer term. Yep. So, uh, what are the benefits then of owning a franchise against, say, starting your own business from scratch? I decide I want to do something. I can go out and buy a franchise, or I can go and turn my garage into an office, <laughs> build build a mm-hmm. business. What What are the advantages of owning a franchise against um, against starting your own business? Well, you you have a partner, and it's it's a reassuring thing from from what our franchisees tell us to know that when there's a problem or when they run into difficulty or a situation that they had never encountered in their in their prior life that they have experts that they can talk to about it and because we've we've experienced virtually every problem that you could ever face in business at least in this business and so we have advisors people who work here at Liberty that um, their job is to help franchisees through through rough times and to give them advice on budgeting and and um, training and employee issues and things of that nature. So I think that when you know it's it's a it's a colloquial phrase and and I don't like to use it, but it's true, is that you go into business for yourself but not by yourself. You always have a partner that's there to help you kind of uh, navigate the troubled waters. And it's amazing how many people who start their own business um, focus on getting the business up and forget about all the absolutely critical things like getting legal advice on IP, getting legal advice on on um, partnership agreements, getting legal advice on structure, tax minimization, all of those things. They usually forget those and plow ahead and find themselves in trouble somewhere a bit later on. So I agree that having a franchise takes a hell of a lot of the load off your back. So I'm sitting out there and I say, all right, franchise is the go. What are the next steps I need to take? So I need to talk to some of the um, people who already have the franchise. Then what's the process from there? Um, so you do your due diligence, and we we call it validation to to find out you know what other franchisees are um, experiencing, and then we take you down the path of training. And we like to say that we will train you till you're blue in the face. So we have a five day training that's an initial training, and then from there, anything that a franchisee feels they need training on, we will provide either via online training or they can come to our headquarters and sit down with an expert in their in whatever their their concerns are um, till the day you open your doors and then from there we take you through your first tax season with a lot of hand holding and and helping you with any kind of technical issues you may be having any marketing problems you may have personnel wise 
helping you and getting you advice on recruiting and uh, retaining employees. So it's it's a soup to nuts uh, support system, and um, I think that it, from my experience, it's it's one of the finest in the in the franchise industry. Uh, we've learned a lot over the course of the last many many years. Uh, our CEO John Hewitt has been in in the tax business. He just completed his 48th tax season, so he's seen it all. He you know he was there when they were still using adding machines. Yep. Um, so he's seen it all. So are a lot of us, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so, firstly, what are the risks? Let's do a different question. Um, what percentage of people who buy a franchise are ultimately successful, depending on how you define successful, but actually go ahead and make at least a living wage? Yeah, well, our success rate is about around 90%. We do um, have about a 10% fallout every year, and that's not necessarily because they weren't successful, but they um, either find that the business isn't really what they were looking for, or they have owned the business for long enough that they want to either retire or get into something else. So uh, the the success rate is, is really kind of hard to determine by the number of people who get in and get out of the business every year but um, you know it's it's certainly far less than if you were to go, go hang out a shingle and and decide you wanted to start your own tax preparation business well, because I- now the mark the market is dominated by by the three major players yeah well certainly a 90 percent success rate is better than a 97 percent failure rate um, correct so how do you what are the risks in, in launching a franchise? Undercapitalized, is that the main one? I would say that not having enough money, um, but the other risk is is not spending your money wisely. And that's one of the things that, again, where a franchise can help you. Um, we, we help people monitor their payroll. We know the percentages that you need to maintain in order to be successful. And when you start to float north of those percentages, then, you know, we, we contact you. We tell you how to fix it, um, ask you what your, you know, what your problems are at that point in time and try to stop the, the bleeding before it gets it gets severe and and I don't know that there's any business coach or consultant that could do that for a small business owner who didn't you know didn't have um, hooks in into the into the the franchisor system so um, that that to me is are, are the two major risks undercapitalized and then not spending your money wisely do you have a dashboard type arrangement where if things get away from what you would the anticipated that there's a bell rings or lights flash or somebody comes around and marches in your front door? Yeah, it's, I wouldn't call it a dashboard, but we have reports that we get every single day based upon what has happened the day before. And so it's cumulative. And we can, once we, like I said, once we see numbers that are creeping north of where they need to be, or let's say somebody's not doing the number of tax returns they need to do, we have, and we have insight into all of that. And we, um, we sit down or get on the phone and, and, and talk to folks and, and see what's going on, um, ask what's going on, and then try to help them fix it before, like I said before, before the problem gets gets too bad that we can't fix it. How do you define success for a franchise? 
Well, you know, it's interesting because many people might not be making a gazillion dollars from it and they're really happy because they like the business or they like that how the how the business um, is conducted and so they may not be making you know hundreds of thousands of dollars but they're making enough money that they're happy but they're also happy with what they're doing um, and and I and I consider that success as long as they're happy and they're and they're not struggling um, other people need to make a lot of money and so they buy five and six and ten offices and they and they manage a more of a multi-unit type of operation because they want to make a lot of money um, and and I guess money is the is the key to this you get to keep scoring cash yep that's the best way to keep score I found um, <laughs> How it, most businesses, most most startups and and young companies that I see um, are having a huge trouble problem trying to keep up with the rapid pace of technology and and disruption. How do how a franchisee friend? I guess is another general sweeping question because some will be better than others. But in in general, how's the franchising world handling the rapid pace of change now? It's um, interesting because, you know, I'm exposed to a lot of franchisors through some of the, the conferences that I attend, and I see many that are are very advanced, and, and it's admirable, the, the things that they've been able to do as a result of technology. And then you see others that are not so much so. And to me, the key to that is staying on top of it and making sure that, um, again, like talking about disruption of being able to see what the trends are. If you, if you can identify the trends in technology and what the next thing is going to be and prepare yourself for it so that you're not lagging behind with 10-year-old systems. You have to continually invest and update your technology as with everything, it's not just technology, it's marketing, it's operations, it's every, every uh, facet of the business. But staying on top of what's going on, and that's just a matter of, of keeping on top of what's going on in the world and, and listening and learning to um, the experts and the, and the folks that ha- have been doing it for a while. Now, if I'm, if I'm a, a franchisee, um, what input do I have into um, what... I perceive as changes that are happening or with the feedback I'm getting from my customers or whatever. How much how much input do I have into what the franchisor determines they should do? Um, almost 100%. And that's one of the reasons I think that Liberty is, is different from other franchise organizations because we listen to our franchisees because they're the ones that are closest to the customer. Sure. They're the ones that see what the customers want. They see how the customers react to the products and the marketing that we do. And they give us feedback. And, and, it's, and it's widely received. Um, we just got finished with a, with a three-day uh, convention where the franchisees come in and they tell us we have breakout sessions about virtually every different um, uh, aspect of the business. Our CEO spends an entire day with franchisees asking questions and and the rule is that you can ask any question you want and um, so we, we and we take all that input and we 
we look at it, we analyze it, and then we also understand that if a franchisee, and we hear it from multiple franchisees, is telling us something, that we need to pay attention to it. Because, like I said, they're the ones that see the customers, and, and the customer is is the number one objective of any business, but, but certainly in a service business. We're really short on time, but let's talk about you for a sec. The most um, chief marketing officers last um, not very long, maybe a couple of years, maybe less. Um, and you've been with uh, Liberty for over 20 years. What's Why are you still there? What's driven you to stay? Well, for one thing, I'm one of the original founders of the company. And, and so I have a emotional um, interest in, in the success of the company. And marketing is fun. I get to be the cheerleader for the organization. And I genuinely love what I do. And, and I think that the reason that I've stayed is because I feel a deep a sense of ownership and responsibility to our franchisees, to our employees, and to our stockholders. And, um, you know, I'm not going to be here forever, but, but certainly um, I haven't run out of gas yet. Oh, good. Well, I, I will certainly say that you're very articulate. You handle yourself extremely well, and you, you're obviously extremely knowledgeable. Um, Martha, I really appreciate you speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, you can learn more about Martha and Liberty Tax at libertytax.com. That's libertytax.com. And, uh, you know, we haven't spoken about franchises, but um, I really believe that for the overwhelming majority of people who want to go into business for themselves, that franchising is certainly the way to go rather than try to set up a standalone company because um, now particularly that is extremely difficult and as Martha said you really need somebody watching your back and anticipating the future at all times so thanks Martha and I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard radio show on Voice America Business after this short break From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel, and we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs this week, as nearly every week, broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. Do you remember when you were a child, you probably heard the fairy story about the hare and the tortoise? Well, it's being played out again as Uber versus Lyft, Uber being the hair. A couple of years ago, Uber seemed unstoppable as it expanded globally while Lyft was searching for a way to differentiate itself. Uber was getting all the buzz, was getting all the ink. Uber was almost as generic as taxi. 
Then the doo-doo began to hit the fan. Uber was embroiled in one disaster after another. If an Uber driver even looked sideways at a passenger, it became front-page news. While Lyft drivers could start World War III and get away with it. Travis Kalanick announced an intensive month-long investigation into its culture by a former U.S. Attorney General, followed by the CEO announcing his leave of absence, a board member and other executives resigning. Then last Thursday, a woman who was raped in India by one of its drivers slapped Uber with a lawsuit for defamation, intrusion of privacy and public disclosure of private facts. Meanwhile, the tortoise is booming, embarking on an aggressive campaign to position itself as a socially conscious alternative, ramping up its marketing and community engagement efforts, and has been pushing its roundup and donate program to get riders to donate to favourite causes. Lyft has committed to reduce its carbon emissions dramatically by 2025. In June, Lyft joined a coalition of 902 businesses, nine states and 125 cities, informally agreeing to uphold the Paris Agreement, regardless of what President Donald Trump's decision led to. A ridiculous bloody decision, if I might say so. Lyft says its efforts will reduce emissions for the transportation sector by at least 5 million tonnes per year. Lyft will launch a fleet of electric self-driving vehicles to provide 1 billion rides using electric autonomous vehicles by 2025. Now that Lyft has reached its current scale, and is competing aggressively on price point and pickup times. It comes down to brand and what the brand stands for and the experience you have with the brand. Uber's brand's been hammered while Lyft's is accelerating. App engagement for Uber has fallen to 16% from 20% in February, while Lyft has remained constant at 18%, and I think it may well increase. Lyft's been winning accolades. Branding and crisis reputation management experts say that they are winning the consumer war. I must admit, last week I marched in the um, Gay Pride Parade, which was a demonstration not in pro-gay pride, but against um, all forms of discrimination. And uh, Lyft was out there giving out little tickets to everyone, offering free rides. Now, they are out there in the marketplace working hard, wrestling arm in arm with the public. Now, Uber, on the other hand, they project an image that is careless. It's self-obsessed, it's sexist, it's profiteering, it's aloof and uncaring. While Lyft appears to be benevolent and puts its values front and centre, 
Now, how much of this can be blamed on Kalanick? Who knows? But he certainly was a gung-ho, do-it-my-way, hang the, um, the results. Let's just grow fast at all cost. And that has really hurt them. You know, a focus on causes and social good, that always works really, really well with Generation Y and Generation Z who see altruism as a must. And there's no question over the last five years or so, companies who care about the community good, who are seen to be doing good for the public and the community are performing much better than those who don't, not only in sales and in branding, but also in brand value. So Lyft is well positioned, playing its cards really well, is very disciplined, and it's clearly capitalising on Uber's missteps. So I've used Uber for years. Everywhere I go, doesn't matter where I am in the world, I always use Uber. And I must admit, I've never had a bad experience with Uber. But now, I catch a lift. There's something cute about that expression too, isn't it? I'm going to go catch a lift. Um, so now I catch a lift, and it's simply because I want to support the guy that's doing good. So, lift, you may be a tortoise, but go tortoise. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? Do you? A lot of people do. We now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers. So I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll for my daily newsletter. It takes just 30 seconds to read, and every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to subjects like Hyperloop and autonomous cars and blockchain. These are all subjects that you should know about if you're going to survive in this new global revolution. The uh, newsletter is free and really its information is invaluable. There's a lot of companies around the world who distribute uh, the newsletter to all their staff if it if it's, um, falls into something that the staff needs to know about. Now, to everyone who sent me birthday wishes today by email or by Facebook or phone me, thank you very much. I really greatly appreciate it. I'm not celebrating any more birthdays, but I thank you for this one. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary it's better to aim for the stars and miss than it is to aim for the gutter and succeed. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never really know just how amazing you can be. Next week, we'll be broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where technology meets entertainment. I hope you can join me again the week after that. We will be broadcasting from over in the Pacific. In the meanwhile, 
continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.